Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, AEA Microphones, The License Lab, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 203. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 203 you're listening to. My guest today is Doug Clark. Doug is a Sydney, Australia-based audio engineer, mixer, sound designer, musician. He is my first Australian guest, believe it or not. How about that? Uh, He works in post-production, and he also works in the studio with bands, and he also plays. So he is definitely straddling all different areas and diversifying and uh, we will talk to him shortly doug clark coming up here on the working class audio podcast all right grab your coffee friends sit back i got a couple things to say so this week something happened that really reinforced my longing for businesses to run in a little more old-fashioned way and i'll i'll explain I'm doing some mixes for somebody, and in part of the deal, uh, there is a trade happening where I'm getting a Duro meter out of it. You know, the nice Duro meters with the nice, you know, you know what they are. And this particular Duro meter is, it's a digital meter, goes up to 96K, and it's racked in a uh, one rack space formation, and it has room for three items. On the first item on the left, it's blank. The middle section, the Duro meter sits, and the far right section is the remote control to the Duro. One of the buttons is missing on the remote, and that blank spot was driving me up the wall. So I thought, well, I need to get this replaced. I need to get that button replaced, and I need to uh, put this in a rack that has space for two items. Just, I don't know, OCD, I don't know what it is. Just can't have that blank space there. So. My gut instinct was to go online and start Googling, you know, Duro parts and go through some other method. Well, it did occur to me that you can actually go to the Duro site and buy this stuff. And then I thought, well, okay, they sell this stuff. I got to go through a dealer. Okay, that's kind of a pain in the ass. But then I see a phone number at the bottom of the page and I call it up and a woman answers whose name is Kay, very old fashioned name. And uh, I just said, hey, uh, here's the situation. Can I buy direct from you? And she said, absolutely. Do you have a credit card? And man, within moments, we identified the parts that I needed, took the credit card, and uh, within less than a week, it's on its way here. And I got an email confirmation from her. No phone tree, no uh, navigating through a bunch of bullshit to get there, just an employee answering the phone, taking the order, and handling it. I love it. And I wish a lot more pro audio companies would handle things in that way. Now, I realize some of these companies are very big, and they're, you know, just too big to do that. But gave me an appreciation for the small company that's still out there doing stuff. So it made me want to support those small companies even more. And I want to just encourage you, if you're looking for a part for a product you have, you know, consider reaching out directly to these companies and uh, getting things repaired directly with them or buying spare parts. 
Because if you think about it, that is diversification for them, and that helps keep their business alive. And, you know, you've heard the story a million times. You see a restaurant, you see a studio, you see a movie theater, you see a business that you have a fondness for that you think is kind of cool. Maybe it's a bookstore. And I've seen it, I've said it myself a thousand times when, you know, you go back and you visit a particular area and maybe there's the bookstore that closed and you're like, oh man, I really like that bookstore. But if you ask yourself, did you ever buy anything from them or did you just go to Amazon and buy it, right? Nothing against Amazon, but you got to support the small business because that's, that's how they survive. And it's reciprocal too, right? Because those small businesses employ musicians, part-time recording people. So, you know, kind of comes full circle. So that's that's kind of my rant. So shout out to Duro. Real, real nice work there. Answering the phone, taking the order, getting it done, making it happen for me. I'm a fan now. Well, that's my small business rant for the day. Mm. Good things. All right, so on to other things. I'm going to be appearing at the uh, Music Expo, San Francisco edition of that. That is happening uh, Saturday, November 10th. Uh, it's in Emeryville, California, actually, at the uh, SAE Expression Institute. That is, its, let's see, Saturday, November 10th, 1.30 to 2.15 is my panel. But uh, it's an all-day event, so I'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to come on by. My uh, panel is called Survival of the Fittest, How to Really Make a Living in Audio. And I will be joined by some esteemed guests, including Carrie Keys, Piper Payne, Frank Socorro, and Brian Gibbs. And we will be discussing uh, all things revolving around networking, diversification, side hustles, money management, and a lot more. So, uh, yeah, stop on by. Get tickets. Music Expo San Francisco. Yeah. My friend Loic puts this on. He does a great job, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So a lot of panels, a lot of different speakers, a lot of um, information to be learned. So come on by. Now, of course, our friends over at Universal Audio who support the podcast and help make it possible are doing just uh, a number of promotions. So I'm going to put some links in the show notes directly to those promos so you could just go right to it. So uh, make sure to stop by workingclassaudio.com. Go to the bottom of this episode and hit the show notes. You will see it there. A couple things they're doing. They're doing a thing where if you buy an Apollo Twin or an Aero interface, you can get some uh, free plugins from Neve, Lexicon, and Fender. Uh, they're also doing a, a classic Apollo Rack promo where if you buy a classic Apollo Rack, you get a free satellite. Like, for example, the Apollo 8 Quad Thunderbolt audio interface. If you buy that, you'll get a U82 Satellite Thunderbolt Quad. And if you buy an Apollo Firewire audio interface, one of the original ones, uh, you will get a UAD2 satellite firewire quad. So depending on your setup, one of those will pertain to you. So once again, a link in the show notes. Also want to uh, make you aware that we do sponsor the Audio Life Subform over at Gearsluts.com. Our good friends over there, stop on by, participate in the discussion. And you don't even have to talk about gear if you don't want to, because that's what we do over there. On gear sluts, yes, it happens. But of course, I'm always tempted by that cla that classified section. I, ha I hate to say it, but I just 
Love scrolling through there. Ooh, what's that? I should buy that. Yeah, temptation. Okay, well, it's time to head on over to Sydney, Australia. Let's go uh, talk to our new friend, Mr. Doug Clark, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's 5 a.m. for you. Is it Thursday? Yep. Thursday, November 1st. And I am currently on Wednesday, October 31st, and it's 11 in the morning for me. This requires a little bit of uh, coordination, and uh, a lot of the questions I get about talking to people internationally is, is how come you don't talk to more international people? Well, this is one of those reasons. It's a, it's a challenge when we get to time zones that are that off of each other. So Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a bit of a morning person as well, so uh, a lot of audio guys aren't, so getting up at five isn't the worst thing in the world for me. <laughs> well, regardless of the time, welcome to the show. I'd like to start with where you grew up. And at what point audio influenced you enough that you thought you were going to do it for a living? I originally grew up in Brisbane, which is about uh, maybe about a thousand kilometers away from Sydney. So it's still a pretty big town, was playing in bands kind of straight out of high school and was always interested in recording. You know, initially me trying to get into bands was just recording myself, play guitar just to kind of send out as sort of, I guess, like demo audition kind of tapes. Mm. And then that sort of led into study, which at the time I knew I wanted to do the production side, but I I just didn't know if I was ready at the time to kind of jump straight into a sort of a three-year sound design, sound engineering uh, degree. Mm -hmm. And so the course I did in, in Brisbane, which was a Bachelor of Music, but you could essentially you could do both performance creative and production and so towards the end I did end up focusing on production post uni was kind of touring around was recording my own band you know recording other local bands and yeah again that ended up me getting into my own space with another friend and just kind of it sort of all kind of snowballed from there really I'm curious about the cost of the school is it specifically a recording based or audio based school or is this a program within a bigger school so that was also another reason why i chose this one so our our college fees aren't as expensive as yours in the states but a lot of the private colleges do get very expensive so i'm assuming it would be similar to like your full sale type universities ones that are kind of a bit more specific to creative industries those ones in australia like the saes the jmcs get very very expensive and again it just wasn't at the time i just wasn't that sure if that's what I was going to do. So I wasn't really prepared to go into, you know, 40 to 50 grand a year's worth of debt that quickly. And so the Bachelor of Music that I did through still a really well-renowned university, one of the biggest in Brisbane, I was able to get a full bachelor's degree, not walking out of that much debt at all. It still gave me the option of just getting a full bachelor in music and gave me the option if I didn't want to continue with that, that I could use those credits to move into, you know, like a a creative entertainment or sort of, you know, move that into another, another degree. So yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons why I picked that degree for sure. I'm curious how you were being advised. Where were people telling you what direction to go, how to structure your career can you share a little bit of that? Definitely my parents. Yeah, huge shout out to my parents. While they were incredibly supportive in terms of 
uh, yeah, pushing me towards something that I did want to do. They were also, you know, they were very realistic of, you know, what is the plan after this? Yeah, again, like obviously for a lot of these audio and music degrees, doing an extra year extension at the end of it to move into teaching is a big advantage of that. And this degree did allow me to do that. Also in the final year of my studies, I did a year interning at uh, a studio called Gasworks, which was at the time it was attached to the studio. So it was sort of used for the the professors and the master's students um, and sort of the head, the studio manager, head tech, uh, Tristan Hoogland, uh, he was sort of a big mentor for me during that year as well and he gave me a lot of advice in terms of the production side of it and sort of how to kind of move into getting paid gigs and kind of where things were kind of going in Brisbane. Were there things that people were telling you to avoid? Oh, that's a good question. Not so much avoid. I don't know. Like for me, I guess I had kind of already seen through other people that going to some of those one-year degrees that cost a lot of money that there wasn't a lot of benefit. Like I'd kind of already seen people kind of come out of that and not kind of get much from it. Mm -hmm. So I'd kind of already sort of seen that sort of firsthand as like that's something that I really wanted to avoid. Like I didn't want to come out of something and then have to go back and spend more money to study to, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of what to avoid, yeah, no, I can't. Yeah, sorry. No, that's fine. And it does seem, though, that you already in your mind had set yourself up that you didn't want to wind up in with a huge amount of debt coming out of university. Yeah. Because I, I guess as well, because I was doing the, the band thing as well, like I just knew that coming out of it, like I just needed to be kind of hitting the ground running. Like I couldn't, you know, it was already going to be tough enough playing in bands and, and you know, trying to start you know, free, like, you know, my initial plan was to come out of it and try to start freelancing with bands, you know, when I was off tour. And then that would somehow pay for me to go on tour while the band was making no money at all. <laughs> <laughs> like even, there were even things like a university, because the way that our system works is, I guess it's similar, you know, no one, not a lot of people are able to pay for their uni up front. So we can, you know, apply for what we call like a hex or a help debt which is we only have to pay that back through our kind of tax return at the end of the financial year. Mm. So once you start earning over a certain threshold, they go, oh, cool. So you're actually working, you're making X amount of money. And then depending on how much you make depends on how much of a percent you pay back per year. I like that. Yeah. But if you paid a little bit of money up front, they gave you like 20% discounts off per year. So you could even just put a little bit of money in each time and you would just, you would, Cut down so much. So after after this was, uh, you graduated from Queensland University. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah Queensland Uni- University of Technology. That was in uh, 2013. After doing that, it seems like you worked at a number of studios. I did uni for three years. And then in that final year, I was at Gasworks, which I did my internship for a year. And the studio tech there, Tristan, who I mentioned earlier, he had a a mix room which had uh, an ISO booth in sort of like a shared kind of warehouse studio. He was looking for someone to kind of pick up a few days here and there. And so, yeah, at the time I was busy enough. So I kind of jumped on board with him, which then became kind of hunting ground. He was there for about a year before me, but we were there for a good maybe 18 months. You know, about a four by three kind of control room, probably similar live room. Like you could get a drum kit in there. It wasn't super, super like it was super cozy. When you say four by three, you're saying four meters by three meters. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Those, yeah. 
In the States, that would be uh, uh, somebody's walk-in closet, maybe, yeah. if we're talking feet. Depending on the project and the budgets, there were a few other studios around that we would sort of go to, um, you know, if we wanted to track more sort of live beds or... Because it was a bit tricky as well, like, you know, it was sort of a very DIY kind of type space. So the treatment in the control room was really good, but in terms the live room was a bit, a bit sort of touch and go, like a lot of kind of makeshift gobos and stuff to kind of tighten things up. You moved to Sydney in 2015. What prompted that move? We had a really bad hailstorm, which sort of damaged the ceiling of the studio and hunting ground just externally. This hailstorm kind of kind of took over Brisbane like it was a mass like like we had no idea what was going on with the facility like I think it took over 12 months for it to kind of be back up and operational again just because there was so much damage around town and so Tristan had already sort of mentioned in the past that he had a few opportunities up in Melbourne sorry down in Melbourne and so he kind of was leaning towards kind of doing that and you know sort of was like well yeah, it's either going to take me another sort of year or two years to kind of set back up again or do I want to take the opportunity and move down to Sydney or Melbourne? And I definitely knew at that time I really wanted to do a bit more assisting as well. I hadn't really had a whole lot of that experience, I guess, try out some new opportunities. I had some family down in Sydney, so it all kind of kind of, kind of happened in the space of a few months. But it, it was mainly that hailstorm that kind of prompted it. Luckily, no gear was damaged, but... It was just one of those like we we couldn't get a clear answer out of the insurance company whether when they were going to fix the building and this that and the other. You had some family there, is that correct? Yeah, I got some cousins that lived down there. So okay. again, that was you know that kind of made things a lot easier. So it, when you say that, you mean you got to stay with them f- for a while? Yeah. So just I, th- I think I only stayed with them for about a week or so. I kind of moved down just before the summer. So I was able to get heaps of live work. So that kind of just kept me afloat for that summer. So you get there, you're staying with your cousins for like a week. How did you go about establishing yourself and getting that live work? Um, Well, I just was going around just getting just different companies. Luckily enough, at the time, I knew I also knew a band as well from Brisbane who had all, it was almost within the week that they'd moved down to Sydney. And so I was doing a little bit of live work for them. Again, just being in Brisbane other bands who were touring they would you know it was on the the touring leg so they would always be town so I'd kind of jump on you know jump behind the board for them while I was mixing and that kind of helped out a bit but then yeah just 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 production companies was the main was the main one to kind of start so that kind of just got the ball rolling and that that also I guess you know started the income flowing in as well yeah yeah Sydney is very expensive that was a pretty tough learning curve to uh, when I first moved down. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta keep busy down here. That's for sure. (laughs) What was the next step for you? I'd already kind of been down on a trip just to kind of check out a few studios and whatnot. I ended up doing a little bit of work over at A Sharp with Richard. And so again, a lot of that was at the start was assisting one of their producer and mixers, Steve James. And then I was over at One Flight Up as well doing a little bit of engineering for them as well. They just started up a studio. I was sort of just bouncing between those two for maybe about 12 months. And then I just had, it was coming back to Brisbane every now and then to do the odd thing here and there. But yeah, in that initial period, I would say that was probably maybe eight or nine months after I moved down. I was kind of in that position. Mm. I kind of saved up a little bit of money and was sort of like, well, yeah, cool. Like this will kind of keep me afloat for a bit and I'll try and have a crack at this again. Surviving 
paying rent and just, you know, keeping your whole world afloat, so to speak. How was that? Uh, yeah, it was pretty tough. Sydney's probably twice as expensive as, as Brisbane. You're sort of expected to charge a bit more down here as well, which was, I guess, a tough thing, especially not having any credits down here as well. So, you know, you're out there trying to get a band and they're like, oh, great, cool. Who have you worked with? And you're sort of like, oh, well, I work with these bands in Brisbane and they're on tour and stuff. But in terms of the local scene, you know, that kind of doesn't have that same weight as what it did back in Brisbane for sure. Yeah, sort of getting those rates up took a little while. That was definitely a tough thing. And that's where the, that's where the live stuff kind of comes in handy. And that's also kind of where the post-production stuff has come in as well. You know, that's all kind of like balanced everything out across the board, which is great. You moved into doing some post-production work in addition to the studio work and the live work. Was that in an effort to diversify and survive? Or was that just because you had a, a desire to go into that world? I'd always had a desire to go into post. It was more of a move to get away from live sound and just to stay sort of within Pro Tools, basically. That's kind of where I wanted to spend most of my time was just getting better at that. And I didn't really go looking for post work. It was just one of those sort of by chance opportunities that kind of popped up that, you know, I just said, yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. I'll come in and, you know, I'll, I'll do some assisting and do some editing for some of the mixes and yeah, I just really got along with the team there and that sort of has just really snowballed, particularly in the last sort of 18 months. What about that workflow? I mean, coming from, you know, you can connect the dots between live and studio work. That makes sense to me. But the workflow differences between studio work and post-production work, while there are some common things, the workflow is different. So how did you get acclimated to that and make it work? In terms of the editing workflow, that's, I think that would probably be the biggest sort of hurdle because you know you work on a you know three minute four minute song you know you can kind of listen through it and yeah you might have to like edit a few little bits here and there but you know especially if you're doing dialogue editing maybe not so much for reality stuff but if you're doing like a feature documentary or whatever like you're manually editing every fade and making sure that everything is smooth and making you know cleaning up literally every bit of audio and, you know, if you're doing an hour to a 90-minute show, like, it just takes days. It takes weeks to do that stuff, to, to get it to that standard. So I think that was probably the biggest thing, yeah, of just that sort of, like, I guess just kind of in that kind of mindset of just, like, yeah, just going in and just going, yeah, cool, this is going to take, you know, I'm in here for four days like, and this is pretty much just what I'm going to get done. Whereas, you know, when you're mixing, like, you can, I don't know, it's a bit more kind of free-flowing, whereas... You kind of you have to get a set amount of stuff done, I guess, in post. Culturally, it's very different too, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. It definitely you know gets that sort of that corporate kind of edge to it. That's another thing that I didn't think that I would enjoy, but I really have. Because I guess when you're in studios, you're constantly surrounded by musicians, and you know we're all musicians as well. But with post, you're dealing with editors and producers, and so I guess. That was another thing as well. I was like, was learning that side too, particularly when you're working with sort of edit assists and whatnot, and you know, making sure that you're getting files in the right way and making sure that you're delivering stuff properly and to spec. And you know, because if you get something sent back from QC wrong, that's cost someone money. Like, you can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And people's demeanor, I think, is is quite different between working with bands in a studio and working in a post-production environment. Yeah, no, it definitely is, which, you know, it, it definitely kind of has its advantages because I guess with a band, like if you go into the studio and they kind of don't show up, 
you're sort of like, ah, oh, cool. Well, I'm not getting paid today. Whereas if you go into a post-production studio and they don't have the files ready for you, you're going to get paid for the day. <laughs> yeah, it's the, there is some structure and uh, and more protocol there as compared to the other s- situation. My experience of post has been really positive in terms of po- audio has always sort of, I guess, because you're always left to the last minute of post. So it's always a bit difficult to kind of lock things down. But yeah, definitely on the editing side of things, like when, it, when I'm talking video, so those guys in those world, like they've got such a much sort of tougher gig in terms of kind of getting things done and the amount of work that kind of they go through is, um, yeah, is a lot more stressful for them than it is for us, for sure. So would you agree that post is a much more steady amount of work? It is. Like the thing that I really like about it is that I can just get booked for sort of blocks of time. And so, you know, for example, I'm, I'm heading over to Warner Brothers from sort of middle of January next year until sort of the end of April. And so, you know, for now, like December, January, I've got that time to kind of book some bands in and then I'm off to Warner's and then that gives me a bit of time to kind of go out and find, you know, find a few new bands or if there's some mixing projects coming through, I can kind of book those in for when that when that kind of gig kind of finishes up. Yeah, I really enjoy kind of that part of it. Mm-hmm. In terms of sort of like there's not a lot of full-time post gigs floating around. It's still all very sort of contract-based here. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're working for a, a station, like a channel, um, you might be able to pick up like, yeah, sort of a nine-to-five full-time kind of gig. But, yeah, in terms of posts, like all, I would say at least 90% is all kind of contract-based and everyone kind of works around for different post places. Do you continue to do live sound? No, not really. <laughs> I've kind of, yeah, I would, it's probably been about a year or so since I've done a live gig, which is, yeah, it's been kind of nice. Are there things that you learn or have learned in post that you bring to the the musical recording aspect of things and vice versa? Oh, totally. Well, I think a lot of my, because uh, I sort of grew up l- like learning guitar and recording through kind of metal bands, really. So in terms of editing, like that was kind of one thing that I think I had a bit of a, a step up against other sort of assistants when I first started doing post because, you know, I was editing drums, you know, 32, you know, note kick drums and blast beats and things like that, you know, all to the grid. So I guess my kind of attention to detail was sort of already kind of pushed a little bit higher than the sort of general kind of assistant kind of coming out of it. Um, but in terms of what I brought from post to music, it would be a lot of just sort of workflow things, sort of particularly with mixing, just sort of, you know, just having a checklist of just kind of sitting down and just going through it. So listening to a track, do I need to do any auto tune? Cool. Just sitting down, just doing that one hit, checking it off. It's done. Cool. Moving on. All right. Do I need to edit the drums? Do I need to, you know, making sure things are labeled, you know, getting templates set up properly and you know, whenever I bounce out a mix, I'm bouncing out stems for instrumentals and acapellas and things like that, like kind of streamlining that process a lot more instead of having to, you know, sending out a mix and then having to come back and then things like that. And then also just all the isotope stuff, like learning isotope is kind of its whole other, it's a whole other beast of audio repair, which I hadn't done a whole lot of in music, but in the odd situation, you know, being able to fix something really quickly is a great tool in music. So it seems like you, your time in post has benefited you greatly because it's brought a sense of organization to your workflow in music 
and brought some extra skills as well. Um, what about the the business things that one can learn from you know either discipline? Post has been really good to kind of has got my negotiating skills up a lot more as well, mm-hmm. which has been really good. And you know, just you know, figuring out what everyone else is charging, and you know where you kind of fit in that. And I guess you can sort of get booked for a, a lot more different sort of jobs with post as well. And so, kind of figuring out, okay, well, what's kind of the next step? So, yeah, definitely a lot of that with music. I guess what music's taught me as well is just how to find work and how to network, and and that's kind of helped me get the post gigs as well you know, just sort of always constantly emailing, like even if you are busy, like just kind of seeing what's out there and kind of, you know, just letting people know that you're around. Like you, you kind of have to do that in music just to, yeah, just to kind of keep busy. So that, that has definitely benefited me greatly for sure. I want to tell you, Audio Technica sent me some new headphones to check out. I know I'm a huge fan of the ATH-M40Xs, but... For a completely different experience and a different kind of use, you gotta check these ATH-R70X headphones out. Really comfortable to wear, good for long listening periods. So this is kind of more, this is a higher end headphone for sure, geared towards uh, maybe you're doing some uh, QA work in mastering where you're checking your masters for any you know irregularities, clicks, pops, etc. Also for mixing too, if you if you need to do some mixing on headphones, these are great. I love wearing them, and uh, they have detachable cables. And for some reason, it doesn't matter how you attach them; the left and right stays the same. That's really freaky. It's cool, but it's a little freaky. Really durable. There's a, a, a metal headband at the top that actually doesn't touch your head. They have these little wing things that are padded. They just sit right on your head. You kind of forget you're wearing them after a while which is great. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for these ATH-R70X. There's a lot of fine details that uh, you can read about on the website. This is a pretty high-end headphone. This is not something you want to, you know, let your clients drop on the floor. <laughs> yeah. If you hand these to somebody, you want you want them to be careful because these are, these are nice. Open back, by the way. Yeah. So uh, you don't feel like you're claustrophobic tendencies are going to get the best of you with these headphones on so yeah check them out the uh, ATH-R70Xs link will be in the show notes all right let's get back to it what's the ratio between post and music for you this year maybe 75 percent post 25 percent music uh-huh which is probably a bit too much I want to bring that back closer to maybe a 60 40 or uh, maybe even a 50 50 split yeah, I, I just got two sort of big contracts with Warner Brothers was one of them at the start of the year and then Endemol Shine, which is another big kind of production company. Two of them I'd never worked with before, so I kind of wanted to get my foot in the door with both of them when the opportunity was there. So that's kind of that. I'm definitely for next year. It's def- I've got that Warner Brothers contract until, what, May and then, and then yeah, I'll hopefully try and book some more stuff, some more band stuff for a good chunk of the rest of that year. You definitely are surviving because you've you you've got a lot of post work and some band work as well to make up the other percentage of that. So now that money is coming in, what about the management of that money? How do you approach your your financial picture? Yeah, as a freelancer, you kind of want to have a fair bit kind of just sitting around anyway, just to 
you know, because realistically, you're probably only going to be working, what, nine to 10 months a year. And then you obviously want to take some time off as well, go for a holiday. So, yeah, like I am would like to start, I'm definitely starting to save for a little bit more equipment so I can try and get my own space again down here. Yeah, houses are super expensive down here, so I don't think that's going to be an option for a long time. So renting is the is the name of the game for you at this point in time. Yeah, pretty well. Un- unless they, there's a serious like correction, because it's sort of very similar to what happened in uh, sort of Vancouver a few years ago. Just lots of overseas investing and sort of negative gearing has made yeah pretty much like the the median like well over a million dollars in Sydney. You know, and those are for houses sort of miles and miles out of town as well. So. Yeah, it's just sort of out of reach for a lot of sort of younger people trying to trying to get a place, really. Do you have a long-term strategy with the money that you make? Yeah, I've got sort of an idea of kind of what I want to go into, sort of putting money aside, doing some investing and things like that. If you just kind of objectively looking at when you first got to Sydney versus where you're at right now, how has the the work and the income affected your um your decision making because when you first got there you 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 know you didn't have much so you had to kind of you had to really dig in mm. and do the live thing so what what would you observe about your own state of decision making um well i guess a definitely big thing for next year is is moving more towards just focusing on probably working a bit less but working on projects that i'm sort of really invested in so a lot of my credits for this year have been with those production companies have been sort of mixing shows, you know, like Bachelor in Paradise or currently mixing a show Pointless and things like that. So a lot of kind of reality kind of TV and sort of moving in that sort of process of pulling back a little bit from post and doing a little bit more music because there's obviously a lot less kind of drama and feature film work done than there is reality. So maybe trying to move into those kind of areas. That's definitely sort of the plan kind of moving forward is to work a little bit less, but then work on yeah projects that I can be a bit more invested in now that things are kind of you know starting to be really busy. As you become more successful, you're finding yourself in a position where your biggest problem is, is there's just too much. So you want to pull back and start to choose what you want to do more. Yeah. No, oh, no, definitely, definitely. Well, because it's also one of those things too, like particularly with the, the reality circuit, with reality, it's just that that kind of time frame of how long it takes you to mix a show is always sort of getting shortened. So, you know, just looking at the lifespan of that, you know, I, you, I just naturally kind of want to move towards kind of bigger projects that kind of don't fall under that. And then again, yeah, that sort of works as well in my favor with bands too of, you know, being able to kind of spend the time to actually to go out and find bands that I want to work with that are going to, you know, or sort of already touring or you know, are actually going to kind of give it a good go and be a bit more flexible on budgets and how much time that gets kind of put into it and, you know, sort of not so much sort of passion projects, but sort of, you know, kind of pushing them to the sort of that next, that sort of next level. Your trajectory, your your path that you've taken seems like it's been somewhat, you know, not trouble free, but it seems like it's been relatively smooth. What have been the challenges as you, you know, arriving in Sydney and where you're at now? What What's been the struggle for you along the way? What are the things that you've overcome? Well, d- definitely just finding work was definitely the biggest. And there are a lot of people trying to find work. So it's just, yeah, particularly when you, you move city as well. I guess that's another big thing too, of, you know, because you tell your friends and family, I'm moving down because I want to do this. So, you know, you kind of put a bit of pressure on yourself as well. 
so trying to get that work and um you know you're constantly emailing like i remember there was one post place that i was doing a little bit of work for that i would just literally call them every friday and i was like do you need anything done by monday i'm happy to come in over the weekend because i'm i'm around like that's good because it happened all the time you know i'd get to three or four o'clock and then someone would call in and go oh shit we can't you know this needs to get ready for monday and you know all the other guys have already been working a 50 hour week or whatever and sometimes it can be real menial work as well it can just be you know particularly stuff for like doing international revisions or something where it's you know you're just spitting it out at a different level or you're you know removing a cta or something you know they don't want to come back in on saturday they want to spend their time with their family so just kind of those things like yeah definitely getting work and getting settled was definitely the biggest challenge moving down here for sure have you made any real critical mistakes along the way that that you look back on and go, oh yeah, that was a quite a big mistake there? Oh, definitely. First mistake was not moving down with enough money <laughs> because I didn't realize how quickly rent went down here. Like I remember within the first yeah, because I moved into a place, I had to pay a month's bond up front, and then obviously a month's rent up front, and then we paid rent monthly. So by the time at the end of the month. I'd essentially already paid three months rent and that was like, yeah. you know, I had a buffer of maybe like four or five and I was like, all my money's gone. <laughs> like, I've got to get to work now. <laughs> it's sort of those things, moving out of live sound that first, that first time, again, probably just jumped the gun a bit too early on that. And I guess as well, like that, that's probably a thing in terms of this career as well. It's like, it's a long career. It's going to take time, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes, I guess, because it just is going to take time. Okay, I want to make sure that you're aware that our friends over at AEA Ribbon Mics have just introduced a brand new microphone into their lineup. I'm super excited about this. I've known about it for a little while, but now I can talk about it. I'm talking about the KU5A. Now, I don't have one yet, but I'm going to get my hands on one and we'll be able to listen to it on my voice. I'm super excited about that. Let me give you the facts. This is what I do know. Super cardioid polar pattern. And uh, that's different because a lot of ribbons are just, actually most ribbons are figure of eight. But this one is super cardioid. This one can be used outside and in live use, believe it or not. And it's got active electronics inside with a custom transformer. So you don't need a special mic preamp to use with ribbon mics to really make this thing shine. It's got a, an integrated high pass filter and it's got this built-in yoke. So it's, you know, you could screw it right on the stand and it's made in the USA. Now, this whole thing is kind of groundbreaking because, you know, with regards to ribbon technology, it's got this acutely focused directionality that rejects bleed from other instruments, room reflections, loud ambience in the studio and on stage. So it's relying on these really sharp nulls to reject unwanted bleed. And I think that that is going to be a great asset to this. So I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check it out. I'm excited about it. And if you're a fan of ribbon mics at all, I bet you're going to be excited about it too. So check it out. It's going to be at aearibbonmics.com. And there will be more information to come. And we'll get a mic and we'll try it out here on, on the show. Yeah, I think it'll be great. KU5A from AEA Ribbon Mics. Yeah. Has it ever crossed your mind to go back to Brisbane? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'd say about the 18-month mark, I was sort of like, okay, you know, what's what's kind of happening down here? But, you know, at, this, at that same time, I think that was kind of when I kind of had that first post opportunity. So 
I kind of was like, now nah, I'll kind of see where this kind of goes. And um, yeah, no, definitely glad I stayed. It's one of probably one of the best things I've done for sure. It's good to get out of where you grew up too. Yeah. And I love going back to Brisbane. I'm going back up for about three weeks over Christmas to work with a few bands as well. So yeah, whenever I go back, I always try and tell other friends who are working to, yeah, just give it a go. Just go down to Melbourne or go down to Sydney for a couple of years. It's um, just puts things in perspective as well, I think. What's your advice for someone who's coming up? Let's say they're in school. What would you offer as your experience and your advice to them? Assuming that they're wanting to do audio. Stay at home as long as you can. <laughs> no, just start, just just go out, just go to gigs, just be around. I think a lot of people, particularly with audio, they sort of have a favorite producer or they have a favorite band and or a favorite record and they go, great, I want to just do these records all day, every day for the next 40 years of my career. And yeah, definitely like, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. Like back when I was younger, you just kind of take the opportunities that kind of come your way because... There's no point deciding what your niche is. You kind of have to figure it out and you won't figure that out if you don't kind of take random gigs that just kind of kind of happen by chance. Absolutely. What is your view of the, the recording scene, music scene, or post-production scene in Australia as a whole? I mean, it's a big country, but mm. what has been your experience? Let's, let's just talk about Sydney. Yeah, so like Sydney's, Australia is, I think Australia is pretty tough just because for a few things like there's just not a huge amount of people like i think in australia we've only got about sort of 25 to 26 million people that doesn't equate to as much revenue and there's not as many people to play in front of and you know a lot of sort of australian tours are just east coast tours that are just brisbane sydney melbourne are there a lot of clubs to play yeah there's definitely a lot of clubs like melbourne's really going off at the moment in terms of live music and that's for a lot of sort of political reasons they introduced these sort of these laws in sydney which has sort of had a knock-on effect in brisbane as well where they've like they've i think a similar thing happened in la but they they made all the clubs and bars shut really early Hmm. sort of around they said they called them the lockout laws. so basically they sort of made these venues shut at sort of you know one to two in the morning that was kind of it whereas down in melbourne sort of that's not the case and yeah, their music scene is just thriving so much more. And yeah, that, that, that just had a huge knock-on effect for a lot of Sydney venues. You know, like heaps of venues got shut down in that sort of two two or three years when that sort of kicked in. But then it's also, Australia's just a big place. Like it's expensive to get around. Like even even the leg from Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, you know, it's, a, it's around a nine to 10 hour drive between each city. Yeah, there are obviously places in between that you can do, but it just makes it really difficult for that sort of, I guess a lot of big like starting bands are self-funded, so that's not too much of a worry. But I guess when bands start getting to that sort of intermediate level where you know they 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 need to start touring to make money, it just makes it really difficult because you can't do those you know thirty date tours like you guys can do in the states or you know thirty date tours throughout Europe. Um, and so again, that just has like a knock-on effect back to kind of everything where you know bands I guess are doing a lot more singles and. Uh, you know, they don't want to spend too much money on the recording because, again, like it's just money, a lot, heaps of money is going out and not a lot's coming in. Do you see the direct effect of that in the amount of music work that you do or music recording, I should say? The studios suffer because there's just not, and there's just not as many bands coming through, you know, whereas like for me and sort of a lot of other guys, you know, 
you really only have to work with sort of if in terms of if you're producing you know there's sort of only a handful of bands that you really can kind of work with over the course of a year if you're you know if you're doing sort of eps and albums and stuff like that you know whereas if you're again yeah it's it's more so the studios i think particularly the bigger ones that a lot of the bigger studios have kind of shut down in sydney and well in well australia wide really over the last sort of like five to ten years interesting yeah oh we we so, see that a lot in san francisco well again yeah again it's just it, it, you know, especially when these cities get just get so expensive as well. You know, it's just, yeah, it, it, it gets pretty crazy. Where can listeners find out more about you uh, online? My Instagram page. Oh, and on IMDb as well. And check out credits. I was going to say, because your credits stretch in two different, two different areas. Although, like, a lot of the Australian post places don't put their stuff up on IMDb, which is kind of annoying. But, but yeah, definitely those two. Have you ever considered moving to the States into a big market like Nashville or Los Angeles? Yes. I was over October last year. I've got a few friends who are living over there who have moved from Australia and I guess sort of made some contacts over there as well that I try and keep in touch with. So yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely on the radar for sure. Excellent. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you, Doug. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're the first guest from Australia. Well, there you go. Would love to stay in touch with you and find out uh, where you're at career-wise so that I can track you and see how you're doing. Well, we'll definitely keep in touch. Sounds good. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me and thanks for reaching out. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for doing it. All right. Well, I will chat with you later. Awesome. All right. See ya. Doug Clark here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. want to, of course, encourage you to stop on by workingclassaudio.com, where we have, of course, a lot of episodes to choose from, over 200 now at this point. Also, uh, if you wouldn't mind, while you're there, maybe click on one of our sponsors' links. They, of course, help make the show possible. I'm talking about Universal Audio, AEA Microphones, Roswell Pro Audio, Audio-Technica, Gearsluts.com, and the License Lab, where a lot of that music comes from. But our theme music, of course, I have to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdell. The voice, of course, comes from Mr. Chuck Smith. So thanks again for being here with me today. Come on back next week. I'll have somebody new for you. And we'll do it all over again. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.